Hey, what's up there, Warrior? It is Jeff here from WarriorLife.com. Welcome to podcast episode number 460. So as you know, one of our most basic needs just to survive is food. And judging from our climbing obesity rates, it's kind of obvious that food isn't hard to find, whether that's at your local grocery store or any of the endless options of fast food restaurants that are out there. Now, we're very fortunate to be able to live in the land of plenty, but it's also made most citizens dependent on a resupply chain that during disasters and other crises could come to a screeching halt and force everyone to live off of only the food that we have accessible right now in our cupboards, in our refrigerator to feed ourselves and our families. That's why one of the first actions prepared citizens begin to address for hard times is mapping out an alternative food plan that they can depend on when the grocery stores are picked clean and there's no resupply on the way. But while putting together your plan B food options may sound simple, there are common mistakes a lot of people make that could sabotage your efforts when you most need to tap into your stockpile. Now, in this week's show, you'll discover how to avoid these common mistakes, and you'll also get some advanced strategies that you can use to make sure that you and your family will be well-fed, even when others in your area are all scrambling around, desperately trying to find anything to fill their starving bellies. Now, all that and more is coming right up. And don't forget to grab your one-page cheat sheet covering all the main points from this week's show. You'll find it in the Loot Locker section of our Warrior Life Academy, along with all of our other cheat sheets, training manuals, audio programs, and more, all available absolutely free just by going to warriorlife.com loot. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. Okay, I want you to imagine the disaster scenario. And it it doesn't have to be some kind of nuclear apocalypse, end of the world type situation. It can be as simple as like the supply chain getting disrupted for a week or two. Now, most supply chains are set up for a last minute restocking. So when you go to the grocery store and you buy a jar of mayonnaise, the signal gets sent out to send another jar of mayonnaise, which comes from the distribution center at the next scheduled delivery. But what if there was no way to send those signals or no way to restock that jar of mayonnaise at all? I mean, that could be caused by something as simple as a temporary blackout caused by the electrical grid becoming overwhelmed or the grid going down for good or even a hurricane that makes redelivery impossible for that area. Now, if you're not prepared for this scenario, let's face it, most people aren't, you're going to be one of those ravenous, starving, zombie mobs ready to do anything to feed yourselves and your family. On the other hand, if you are prepared for it, well, you're, you're still going to have to face those same ravenous zombie mobs, but at least you're going to be doing it on a full stomach and hopefully with a clear head. So how do you prepare your food plan, one of those most basic human needs for a survival situation, whether that's one week, one month, or one year? Well, that's what we're going to find out with this week's show. Hey there, Warriors. Jeff Anderson here from WarriorLife.com. And with me today is a new guest who I've actually wanted to get on the show for some time now. Please welcome Lisa Bedford, lovingly known to her followers as the Survival Mom. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for including me. Uh, I, I'm like I said. I've been trying to get you on here for a little while. I, I've yeah. been. Uh, I'm really excited about um, about tapping into the information. I've been following your work for some time, and um, I think you're a perfect fit for the message that we're really trying to get out to all of our people. But I think um, this fits a, definitely a gap for us. And, and listen, everybody, if you, if you're not familiar with Lisa's work, well, all right. Let me put it this way: 
When most people think about a prepper, the first thing that comes to mind is some burly, tattooed guy with a garage full of guns and, a, and another garage full of ammunition who lives in his plate carrier and spends all of his time practicing what he learned in some elite military unit, right? Well, Lisa's the exact opposite of that, at least as little as I know her, she, she seems that way, but she's the mom of two homeschooled kids and the self-proclaimed wife of a very patient man who, after a real-world wake-up call during the 2009 recession where her family struggled with the financial stress of their business nearly shutting down, learned the hard way just how reliant they were on our country's infrastructure being intact, and she did something about it. Lisa dove headfirst into the strategies that she could use to protect her family against not only the devastating effects of a collapsing economy, but also how she could help them weather any kind of wide-scale disaster or crisis. Now, today she takes her lessons learned along the way and has created several programs that help her fellow moms learn how to prepare and equip their families for those critical moments when life hits you hard and there's no time to figure out what to do. Now, for more information about Lisa and her training, make sure that you visit her online at thesurvivalmom.com. So, Lisa, before we get going here, there's a, I took that, that very patient husband clip from, from your website. And if you don't mind, I, like, there's, there's actually an important point with this. So I have to ask you, because we get a lot of questions about what if my spouse isn't into prepping? What if they don't follow the same thought process I do. Um, yours was kind of like a wake-up call thing. It wasn't like you grew up in the backwoods with tinfoil hat on or anything like that. So with your very patient husband, I mean, did he come along kicking and screaming in the process of you kind of taking more interest in survivalism, preppers, or anything like that? Um, tell me a little bit about that dynamic within the family as you started following this path, because I think a lot of our audience can really identify with it. My very patient husband. He still is patient. Um, he actually, I have an affection, another affectionate name for him. I actually have multiple, some not so affectionate. But uh, I call him sometimes the paranoid dad. Because maybe some of a lot of your listeners can relate. Where they're looking, uh, they're like maybe ultra situationally aware. And they're looking every, you know, has to sit with the, you know, their back to, you know, the wall, no matter where they are. In fact, we go to a restaurant, I automatically just know this is where he's going to sit. So I guess some of that kind of over the years kind of rubbed off on me. And but what kind of I brought into that equation was a determination just to not be a victim. And what do I have to do? What can what do I have in my power? And because my husband was keeping this family business up and running during the very worst part of the recession, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, the building boom and then a massive bust, that was what he was doing. He just was, you know, going out every day to bid jobs or whatever. And there I was at home watching the news, aware of what was going on and thinking, what can I do? So uh, if I said, honey, we've got to go and stock up on canned food, he would just come along you know behind me you know do we really need two carts of food yeah actually i think we do so when we needed a place to store it he was the one that went to home depot and got supplies for the shelving in our spare bedroom so patient but the two of us together i think for had a dynamic that is typical in a lot of households where it's the man totally totally you know typical here and not uh, not always at all but it's the man who focuses on providing and protecting 
And that's why when I first got into this, so many of the websites I would encounter, they focused on the guns and the ammo and, uh, you know, a homestead that was safe from so many thousands of yards of, you know, from rifle fire. And that's what I encountered, you know, in 2008, 9, 10, 10, there wasn't, um, there weren't many resources specifically for moms and women and the home. What I brought to that was the home. How do we do laundry? What if we're homeless? How would I cook meals? What about the kids? And together, when you have both of those involved in a home, then it just makes this uh, a lot easier. As far as getting spouses on board, if COVID didn't wake people up, then I don't know what I don't know what will. Yeah, yeah. You know, what? the other thing I would love about that story, and really I think ties in for a lot of people, is that there's these stigmas out there, right, about like what a prepper is and, th- and things like that. And so we, en- we end up having this, this picture in our mind and it's very male dominated, very you know, focused like that. And so I think a lot of times, like you said, your husband has had like a natural protective mechanism inside. A lot of, a lot of guys do. And so I think a lot of times that tie in becomes um, there are things that we're already doing or things that are already important to us, but people don't necessarily identify with like the term I mean, and especially doomsday preppers didn't didn't do us any favors when it came to, um, you know, stigmas and, and how preppers are portrayed or people that just care about providing for their family. So I think it's I think it's interesting that you found like the tie ins for things that you already believed in already, but it didn't have to have a name for it. And I think that I think that's a good common ground for a lot of people just to be able to work with their within their families and, and with their families to become better prepared. You know, um, so I don't I, I don't want to sound sexist here, but you are the survival mom. So. Um, but this this brings in another, I think, a very important um, and, and an interesting aspect of it. Like, so when you're working with women who are members of your, your community, because I know you have a um, you have a you have a membership program and, and uh, a lot of different training over there and things like that. Um, when you're working with women in your in your coaching calls and and networking with them. What do you find are maybe some of the most common advantages of benefits that women maybe don't get enough recognition for in the overall family preparedness planning, whether it's throwing a label of prepper on it or not? Um, Again, I think that our industry becomes very male focused, very gun focused, things like that. And so I think that this I I don't know if I want to call it the softer side, because like it's, it's not soft when you're starving, like you don't nothing feels soft about it. So. I'm just curious, like in your experience, what are some of the benefits that women really don't get enough recognition for that you've seen in the industry? Yeah, that's uh, that, that's a that's a very good question because I think a lot of times what, and I hate the stereotyping, first of all, and I know that I'm talking about stereotypes. You know, the men, you know, they focus on the protection and the, you know providing for the family. But if you don't mind, and if your listeners don't mind, I'm going to kind of just carry on in that for the tip maybe a more typical family single dads have a ton of respect for them because they have to cover all the jobs and the bases and so do single moms but um in a typical home it is the mom who does so much of what is just invisible almost like there's a whole crew of little invisible fairies and all of a sudden the laundry is done the dishwasher was run whoa the pots and pans got washed Whoa, who went to the grocery store, you know? And those are the kinds of things, though, that provide this foundation of security. So you can have 
security systems and you can have security lights and you can have, you know, the closet full of guns and ammo. Total respect for that. I believe it's necessary. But I believe it's that foundation of just the family household routines that get done. And that lends so much to a sense of security, especially for children. And all of us need that. We need the routines and we need the systems down. So um, I look at that as the mom being the project manager of the home and taking care of things that maybe no one even notices, but all of a sudden, like I mentioned, you know, well, you know, it's time for dinner. You know, dinner is going to be ready in 10 minutes. So um, a lot of times, you know, the guy walks out the door and it's spectacles, testicles, wallet and watch good to go all right and it's the mom in fact my husband and i've run into this recently we're both we're beekeepers and so we go out to the bee yard and my husband's like in the car he's ready to go and i'm like oh honey we're going to need water if we get hot and we're going to need this and that comes from 20 some years of being a mom and thinking about every possible contingency what might we need? And I think that project manager and having the home just kind of run and function is, you know, definitely required. I think it's a part of the whole survival scenario. And another advantage I think women have, I've heard it said that women are the barometer of the household. And whether, you know, it's a retired couple or, you know, young children, whatever. But we're in tune, very much emotionally in tune with undercurrents. Uh, emotions and maybe a little bit more observant with uh, noticing in a you know in a moment that something's wrong, you know something's wrong with this child or what you know what's going on. It feels like you know there's some tension here. And interestingly, COVID impacted us more mentally and emotionally than uh, a lot of survival and prepping experts had ever even considered. And so just being the barometer of the household, and I, uh, that is the mental and emotional part of this, it plays a huge role in survival. And one more comes to mind, and that is a very practical level. How much toilet paper does our family use in a week? Um, how many loads of laundry do I need to worry about if the power goes out? If we're looking at a hurricane warning, all right, what do we do? We have to get the electronics all plugged in. We've got to get the dishwasher run. We've got to, and, you know, and so we just go click, 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 click at a very practical level. And without that, we could be go, you know, getting into some kind of survival scenario. No clean clothes. All the dirty, all the dishes are dirty. You know, the refrigerator is almost empty. And just having those kinds of things in place—that is all. That, that that's all survival. So survival is a whole lot more holistic than I think many experts over the last decade or more have really um, given a voice to and a focus on because it isn't just, you know, the rugged guy with the bug out bag that he's been working on for 10 years to get it just right, you know, all the right kind of gear and so on. Uh, it, honestly, it could just be this is what's for dinner and you know, this we ha, you know we have water stockpiled in case there is a, a flood or something. At a very practical level, I think that women in the household—that's maybe the unsung heroes. Yeah, there's a lot of good points there. One of the one of the things that you brought up, because I mean, bringing children into into that conversation also, like any time that we have a crisis, and, and you're right, like during COVID, I, I think. Pre, I mean, I, I was jumping up and down for for years, like that the CDC's been saying, like we're long overdue, like this is going to happen, and then all of a sudden it happened. 
But all the talk before that was really kind of more about the tactics of it. You know, it was like creating your own home hospital. It, it was all the it was all yeah. the stuff that you do, and nobody was prepared for what an emotional and mental health toll that it took on so many people. And and people are still reeling from it. Um, I, I think, and and in some way, I mean, it's just really it's affected a generation. I think also of children. So um, when a crisis does happen understanding more about the emotional side of it and the mental health, not from like a, like a disorders standpoint or anything like that, but just literally like the health of our mental faculties, having the stability of two parents that can provide structure and provide guidance and provide just something that it's not just the guy coming in. Okay. Everybody just behind me, I've got my gun and we're ready to, you know, take on the zombies, but really it being seen more holistically as like the family's solid. The family is prepared. Everybody kind of knows what to do. Mom and dad are 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 um, are a solid unit. It provides that like that dependability that can really help to manage. I think the emotions and the mental health and and help everybody cope and and get through whatever whatever phase that you know this disaster or crisis is in. Um, so you bring up a lot of you bring up a lot of things that I think women are again to kind of like typecast a little bit here are maybe more familiar with the things like the project management of the house and the, the making sure that everything's stockpiled and everything. So food is one of those areas. And I know you have a course on this, which is why I really wanted to dig into this topic um, because you make it really simple for, for people out there. And survival food is one of those areas that are considered pretty standard among those who are preparing for disaster scenarios. Men, women, doesn't really matter, right? So what do you find are the biggest mistakes that people make when they're putting together a plan for feeding their family and they're pre-planning their food needs? A lot of mistakes. And because it can seem overwhelming, you know, what does 30 days of food even look like? We don't think in terms of that when we go grocery shopping or we think, oh, I wanted to make this recipe for tonight. I've got to go run out and buy, you know, some fresh basil. We don't really think in terms uh, typically of what does 30 days look like? What does it, you know, how much does that even cost or a year's worth? And one mistake that uh, people, I guess the most obvious one, is that it just is overwhelming. And then they um, go to some survival or food storage experts checklists and they start at the top and they just work their way down. And they don't think to how important it is to customize food storage. You know, you think about allergies, you think about ages of kids. My kids, you know, when we first started, I would stock up on cans of ravioli. They loved it until one day they didn't. And I had, you know, 30-some cans of ravioli that I had to give to a food bank. They just weren't interested in it anymore. So it is so important to customize. But the mistake is looking at a list and saying, okay, I need, you know, 40 pounds of cornmeal check. I have this many pounds of pinto beans. I have this many pounds of red beans. You know, I have X number of pounds of salt and just kind of going through it because we tend to just trust the expert's judgment. And so that is a big mistake is just not customizing it. And 
people do that, of course, because they don't have a one-on-one person to, to talk to. You know, you just can't get on the phone with the author of a food storage book and say, yes, but my husband, you know, has this health issue. And I have these children who will only eat macaroni and cheese. You know, they only want orange food, whatever it might be. So you can starve to death on rice and beans or end up with a horrible, you know, uh, disease brought on by a nutritional deficit. And a packet of Mountain House uh, beef stew. Check sometime to see how many calories it contains and the serving size, and you might be unpleasantly surprised. Um, another mistake is uh, that um, just loading up on one type of food over another and not really thinking how to balance it out. So when I first got started, I had many, many jars of marinara sauce. And one day I looked at that and I said, I realized I have like almost no pasta. And that's kind of a level I'll talk about in a moment of just stocking up on grocery store foods. But sort of looking at that and saying, you know, I'm going to, you know, stock up on cans of tuna and then what? You know, are we really going to sit down with a can opener, some tuna and a fork? So um, a lot of mistakes there. But those are those are just a couple of them. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you bring up some really good points. And again, and they, I, again, I think it, it ends up becoming like almost like a, a meme you would find on social media where people have like these shelves and you can see like stacks and stacks of beans or flour. And it's like, OK, now what do you what do you do with that stuff? And and um, you're right. Like it can seem like quantity has you covered. But then when you start piecing things together, yeah. Come on, kids, eat your. Hey, look, I I didn't ha- I couldn't complain with eating chicken a la King MREs in the military. Like, shut up and eat your raviolis, kids. You used to like mm-hmm. it ten years ago. So, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of great stuff in there. Let Let's talk about the right way to plan out a survival pantry, though, for for like those hard times. So, what are some core strategies that people should consider when they are beginning to plan out the foods that they're going to stockpile for an emergency? Over the years of just being in this niche. It has always rubbed me the wrong way when people were made to feel less than when they couldn't afford the 12 months survival food for two people, $15,000. Or they were told that they could only, you know, this was the, you know, you can't stock up on this or that. It has to be freeze-dried meals. And I just don't, I don't ever believe in guilting people. And so my first layer of food, this is what I started with, is just going to the grocery store. And grocery store food, it, ha- they, it has so many advantages because it's familiar. And if you think for a moment, just imagine that you're in a scenario where it's you alone or your household, your family, kids, and your survival food or your food storage pantry. Um, if everything in there is just an odd, oh, we've never had chicken a la king, you know, freeze-dried chicken a la king or whatever, uh, what, you know, and with the, the stress... I mean, think about the first few days of the lockdowns. So, so many uncertainties, who to believe, and add to that a lot of unfamiliar foods. Okay, it doesn't have to be that way. So from the grocery store, you're getting familiar foods. A lot of times they're very quick to prepare. I mentioned the canned ravioli, the canned beef stew, uh, and it's cheap. You know, I just, you know, shop the store sales and you're good to go. Canned foods are great for this. A lot of times food storage snobs will say it just has to be freeze-dried food or whatever, but it really doesn't. This is a great first layer and a great way to get started. Uh, Be aware that 
anything that is purchased in like a cardboard box, like pasta, for example, or a flimsy plastic bag, a bag of dried beans, a bag of rice, for the longest possible shelf life, you'll need to put those in a more uh, a sturdier, more secure container. And that can be a, a canning jar, for example. It can be a food saver, like a vacuum seal system. It can be that kind of a container. But shelf life just means that how long can this food be stored at room temperature, no refrigeration, and maintain its maximum amount of nutrients, flavor, texture, and so on. And those are the kind of foods you want to look for. Canned food, you do have to keep an eye on about how long it will, you know, the, the best buy date that's stamped on it. But canned food can last for years after that and be perfectly fine. They, uh, you know, different people over the years, they have found canned food like from World War II and it was still, you know, good and it tasted fine and perfectly safe to eat. So I like the uh, starting at the grocery store because it is comforting and because those foods are all familiar in my pantry right now, believe it or not, I have a couple boxes of brownie mix. And it's like, okay, you know, if we ever have to have brownies, emergency or not, you know, define emergency, uh, I have a box of brownie mix that just, you know, makes all of us happy, you know, for some kind of a special dessert because we don't have it often. A second layer, and I would say, let me backtrack just for a second, about 25% or so of your complete food storage pantry for emergencies uh, should be grocery store food. And you can probably stock up on that pretty quickly. Some vegetables, different kinds of meats, some pasta meals, and so on. The second layer would be a bigger portion, a bigger percentage, maybe 50% or 60%. And that would be individual ingredients. And I, the bulk of my food storage pantry by far are these individual ingredients. So things like dehydrated vegetables, freeze-dried meat, freeze-dried cheese, and things like that. Because going back to my story about looking at the marinara and the pasta and realizing there was a discrepancy in amounts there, I also remember looking at all those jars of marinara sauce, whatever brand it was, and thinking, one day I'm going to be using the last jar of marinara. I'm going to be opening up the last can of whatever it might be. Well, then what do we do? So when you go to individual ingredients, you realize with these, I can make hundreds of different recipes. I can make something as simple as just maybe cooking up some pasta, making some uh, dehydrated butter, a little bit of garlic salt, and I have a super simple meal for my toddler. All right, So you can make so many different dishes out of this. Um, and this would include, I mentioned freeze-dried and dehydrated foods. Those could be home freeze-dried if you have a, uh, an actual freeze-dryer. Those are pricey and have pros and cons. It could be home dehydrated. It could also be home canned. So you've got a home can meat. Uh, last year we bought a whole cow. And I can certainly and probably will end up canning a lot of that ground beef in particular. And then bulk foods like rice and beans and wheat, flour, sugar, all of those things just as individual uh, ingredients can be put together in any number of different recipes. And then you mentioned MREs. Uh, the final layer I would consider something like MREs or freeze-dried meals in a pouch, the kind that you just add water to. Those have a place in a pantry, maybe 20, 25% or so, if that. The advantage for these just-add-water meals, and I would include MREs in that. MREs are a lot heavier and bulkier, but they're lightweight. Honestly, if I was home alone and 
there was, you know, floodwaters pouring into my house. I could load up just armfuls of freeze-dried pouches of meals because they are so very, very lightweight. Uh, they're easy to pack in a hurry. The only thing you need to make sure you have is a source of water and then, of course, a way to heat up the water so you can prepare the meal. But um, I'd also suggest checking the ingredients just to make sure if there are any you know, food sensitivities or allergies, just check the ingredients in those kinds of meals. And they aren't just like MREs. You know, you don't want to have an MRE, you know, every meal, you know, for a month. That would just be, you know, disastrous to your overall well-being. And these meals are the same thing. So these are, they have their, they have like their place, kind of like a specialty meal when all you can do is heat up water and you have a, a tasty, wholesome meal with plenty of, of nutrients. So again, about 25 or so percent uh, go for grocery store foods. About 50 to 60 percent go with the individual ingredients just because they're so versatile and nutritious. And then maybe 20-ish percent or so for those super quick, freeze-dried, just-add-water type meals. And that's the system that I used when I began stocking up. And that is what I teach because there's something there for everybody. If all a little single mom can do, you know, she has her two or three young kids, if all she can do is throw a few extra cans of soup in the grocery cart and then set those aside, that is way better than nothing. And then at some point, stocking up on the foods that may be more expensive. When you buy things in larger quantities, they're naturally going to be more money. So when you look at the price of a number 10 can of ground beef, and oh my gosh, those prices have gone up a lot in the last year, two years or so. But um, just know that that's all, there's a lot in there for just one can. And you can spread that out, or you can just say, you know what, our budget is so tight, we're just going to stock up on grocery store food. Good for you. That is way better than nothing. Your family's going to appreciate it. Yeah. I, I love how you've made it simple for people, and I love the way that you've layered that in there because you can go to a lot of these lists, and they're, they're kind of overwhelming. And I think that that tends to be one of the reasons why people procrastinate and don't take the steps that they need to because it looks like there's a mountain there. And I think what you're, one of the other things that your program does is that it makes it like where you just have to take a step. Like you're going to the grocery store anyway, adding another can in there, just the things that you normally would have. Or, as you said, you know, taking advantage of sales that are there. And it doesn't have to, you know, if, I, if you typically go to Whole Foods and you buy organic, um, but you hit the other, like the generic store and there's a sale going on, like you don't, not everything, like when it's, when the zombies are coming out of the ground to chew your face off, you don't, you don't have to have organic everything. Like there's ways to just go ahead and make kind of like the, this is the crisis food pantry. And I love how you've made that. That easier for people. The other thing that you said that I thought was really, um, I, I hadn't really heard this before, and I, but it makes total sense, is to not look at the packaging as the packaging that you have to have for your survival pantry. So if it's going to be packaging that's not going to withstand the test of time or it's going to limit the, the shelf life of a food, like it's just cardboard or flimsy, a flimsy bag, one of the tools I can see being very helpful for people would be something like a va- your own vacuum sealer, which works even just outside of survival purposes, like you can make leftovers, you know, like it's going to freeze better. It's going to last longer that way. But taking your pasta and putting it in something that isn't just the cardboard box that came in, but repackaging it in a way that, that makes it more powerful, gives it a, a longer shelf life. Um, that's a great tip for people. And that's something that anybody can do. You don't need special. I mean, it is a special tool to be able to do that, but they're not expensive and they can, it can help you leverage what you're already doing or inexpensive foods that you get and make them better, um, more ideal for, for, uh, for survival purposes. I love that. You've, you've gone over some, 
some examples of foods here, and you've, you've, you've given some things here, but when you're telling people when they're starting out, other than just some stuff that you're already buying, are there any like good example? Because that, that might be Slim Jims for somebody, right? Like like our family lives on Doritos and Slim Jims, so I'm going to go buy extra Slim Jims. Like, are there are there good examples of foods that fit your criteria for survival pantry? Um, what Maybe what are some of those foods and what makes them good choices that moms should consider? Mm -hmm. I would suggest thinking about foods that are nutritionally dense. Years ago, uh, I was teaching a class actually about food storage in Arizona, and a woman came up to me later and she said, Lisa, you know, do you know why, one reason, why, you know, Americans tend to be fat? And I said, you know, well, tell tell me your explanation. And she said, it's because so many of the foods that we have are not nutritionally dense. And our body is constantly sending a trigger to our brain that I need to eat something else. I need to eat something else. And on the flip side of that, we all know what it's like to have a meal that is um, that is just very, very healthy. You know, it contains an amount of protein. It cont- contains, you know, fat. It contains, you know, vegetables. And when we're finished eating, we actually feel better. We don't feel sluggish and dragged down. And so I would suggest, you know, think about something like um, you know two or three different kinds of nuts walnuts are excellent almonds uh, those are nutritionally dense foods that you can add to foods they will need to be vacuum sealed absolutely anything that contains oil will go rancid oil itself will go rancid uh, foods like nuts anything like that you mentioned Doritos you know oh and here's a food that goes rancid and smells horrible just horrible and that is saltine crackers I never really thought that salty really? crackers contained fat until I had an old box in my pantry, pulled them out, and they were horrible. I mean, the, the stench was unbelievable. Now, you can take those foods, including saltines. I have done this myself. You can take those foods, put them in a canning jar, and the Food Saver Company makes a jar sealer attachment to work hmm. to work with canning jars. and. When you push the button on the machine, it vacuums out the air inside the jar, which then moves the oxygen and prevents oxidation of your food. And oxygen is one of the enemies of food, you know, any any kind of food. So you can do that with foods that contain fat. And speaking of that, oils, the different meals that I mentioned, I said there could be a, uh, you know, a concern with the amount of calories it contains, for example. Um... In my food storage pantry, I have two or three buckets of um, about a one-gallon bucket size of coconut oil, and I've stocked up on uh, avocado oil. And there are certain kinds of oils that actually have longer shelf life. Why not, if you're making you know your mountain house meal and you've added your hot water, why not stir in a couple tablespoons of oil to increase the calories, to increase the sense of satiation, so everyone feels fuller a little bit longer. And, uh, and then just add a very important uh, macronutrient to everyone's diet. So I would say that those just, you know, have very, very healthy oils, foods that are um, uh, nutritionally dense, comfort foods. A lot of times, I've mentioned that a couple of times, comfort foods are important. And then, believe it or not, I'm a huge fan of this, and I don't think I have this on any list, but I'm a huge fan of freeze-dried cheese. Um, it's not... Uh, a coincidence 
that there is like a whole football team whose fans are known as cheeseheads. We talk about Wisconsin cheese. We talk about the happy cows in California that, you know, give us wonderful cheese. And there are so many meals, you know, that in- incorporate cheese. When I first started on uh, with, with food storage, I was like, oh, you know, my favorite lasagna recipe, even if I got everything else shelf stable, I don't know what, what on earth would I do, you know, for all the cheddar cheese. And I discovered freeze-dried cheese. And that is a little bit what I would categorize as maybe a luxury food. But uh, again, you can do a lot with it. And so I have I started buying freeze-dried cheese. It melts and tastes exactly like fresh cheese. Uh, maybe on the luxury side, but then again, maybe not so much. Maybe that falls in the category of, uh, of comfort foods. And then again, depending on the ages of the family, you know, some, uh, some dried milk. You can make yogurt out of dried milk. There, uh, and just if you have youngsters in the family, just having that as an additional source of nutrients and calcium and so on, vitamin D. The best way to get vitamin D too, of course, is out in the sun. But uh, those are just you know two or three things that maybe a lot of people wouldn't think of when they think about stocking up on food. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's some. That's a that's a great thing to add to the list too. I just got a freeze dryer, also like just got it, and um, I didn't I didn't realize that cheese. I mean, I it says I can even do ice cream in there. So it's, um, but I've just never heard of cheese. I don't know why. I just my brain has a problem processing freeze dried cheese. But I'm it's definitely something I'm going to look up now. It's awesome. Um, so so we have. We have our food pantry. We, I mean, everybody has some food in their home right now. Like we've got, we have stuff in our freezer, our refrigerator, our pantry, and this is a way that we can make that even more powerful, specifically for you know any sort of a crisis. But do you have any guidance for our listeners on how to use their food stockpile when disaster strikes? And I asked that I asked that question for a reason because I had a friend. And I've, I've told this a few times on our podcast. I had a friend that was in New York City when. The, uh, there was a hurricane that hit the East Coast. I'm, I'm forgetting the, the name of it right now, but the one that flooded New York City. And he was visiting New York City at the time, but he was at least prepared enough to go out and, and get food while he was there, knowing that the hurricane was coming. And let's face it, like New York doesn't really typically don't get hit with hurricanes. I live in Florida now where it's like every other day it seems like a hurricane's headed our way. So, but, um, but, what he found was that his friends that came over, like when they were potting together and like weathering out the storm, it became a big party, but nobody had any idea of what food did they. So all of his planning and all the foods that he got with a very specific purpose, like they didn't know the purpose. And so they ended up eating the foods that they shouldn't have eaten first. But I'm just curious, like mm-hmm. with your coaching, with your with your members and everybody, like do you offer any guidance for people on how to use their food stockpile. Are, are there any strategies that you know of in in ways to tap into the that food that you have stockpiled? I think that is actually a really good mental exercise. <clears throat> it falls in the category of what if, and it depends on the scenario. So you're right. Your friend they just were gobbling up whatever and maybe ended up with a lot of food in the freezer, a lot of food in the refrigerator. We live in southeast Texas. We're about 40 minutes northeast of Houston. And we know those scenarios very, very well. In fact, it was our my, my hometown right here that was like the poster child for Hurricane Harvey. We had the floodwaters up to the roof lines, and it was just, um, it was really something else. But when you think about that particular scenario, um, there are two kinds, let me back up just a second. There are two kinds of emergency scenarios. One is where you have no warning. 
You have to get out of your house right now. The power outage happens and you can't all of a sudden, you know, backtrack and say, oh, maybe I should have cooked some of the food that was in the refrigerator. I should have cooked some of the food in the freezer. And then the second type of emergency is one where you have advanced warning. And both of those, it's good to think and have, you know, it's like some just in case scenarios in mind. You know, well, what would we do? You know, the power's out. You know, it's been out for an hour. And you check maybe with the power uh, the power company's website and they don't have, you know, it could be days, it could be weeks. So that kind of a scenario, you would kind of manage your food differently than if you saw a hurricane four, five, six days out and you have some time. But let me address a couple of typical, very typical standard scenarios. One is the power outage. You would, first of all, eat the food in your refrigerator, whatever whatever is fresh. Some things in your refrigerator can be left safely out on the kitchen counter without any problems. But anything that is fresh, if you have fresh veggies, fruit, meat in there, uh, eat leftovers, those kinds of things you want to tackle first. Then you move on to your freezer. Hopefully you haven't opened up the freezer. Uh, And the freezer, you can grill stuff. Um, Here in my town, we actually had people with home generators and they were volunteering to cook meals and cook meat for people who were in a scenario where they, you know, I just bought, you know, $200 worth of of steaks and you maybe a neighbor with a generator came along and said, you know, you could cook that over at my house, which was, uh, which was really nice and nothing to count on, but it can happen. So anything fresh. And then in those cases, you want to have at least two ways to heat up water and cook food. So think about that just for a moment. You have your freeze-dried meals, or you want to cook up some soup instead of eating it cold out of a can, whatever. So those two ways, what I always recommend is something solar. When you have a good, a reliable solar oven, a solar cooker, that is something that you can set out on a day. As long as it casts a shadow and there's enough sunlight for that, you can get your water heated up for your freeze-dried meals. You can heat up water. You can cook food, whatever. Uh, and you don't have to think, oh my gosh, you know, we did, you know, we ran out of propane or I don't know, you know, any of this is, you know, how else are we going to cook food? Cause this is all we have is just the electric range or whatever. Another one is a fuel efficient rocket stove. And I love these because they're small. They can be very small and by fuel efficient, I mean, you can cook a meal using just some twigs. And that way, no matter where you live, if you can just manage to get some twigs enough to feed that little interior fire long enough to warm up a meal, boil water, or whatever, that, that really is all you need. So um, I don't recommend cook, planning on cooking over an open flame, over a fire, because very few people have experience doing that. You know, you can experiment and learn beforehand, but definitely don't think, well, you know, we have a fire pit and that's where we're going to cook our food. Make sure you practice beforehand. Besides a power outage, the next one will be an evacuation. And now here is where you want to think lightweight. That is where those freeze-dried foods, those freeze-dried meals really come in handy. And in fact, if you can organize those in five-gallon buckets, where maybe one bucket contains, you know, X number of, you know, breakfast meals or X number of lunches or whatever, and you have those organized, so you can just put two or three or four on each arm as you're going out and loading up the back of the truck or whatever. So in that case, again, you're going to need to get water. Cases of water are fine. Um, And then again, having a way of heating it up. In that case, I probably would go with the small rocket stove and then just maybe have a container of twigs or some kind of fuel for that. Um, And with evacuations, here is where you see the downside of focusing on canned food. I love canned food. Um, But 
here is where if you can imagine, you know, you just you know one or two grocery bags of nothing but canned food. You're carrying that in. That gets heavy. So imagine trying to you know take with you enough canned food for uh, you know to last you for two or three weeks or whatever. MREs, yes, but don't depend on them for more than just the occasional meal. And then another scenario that is very familiar has become familiar, and that is the lockdown. And this is where those familiar comfort foods can really come into play. So like the COVID lockdown months, um, just being able to have, you had your water, you had power, you had food. There were shortages at the grocery store, yes, but not to the point where you were literally starving to death and you had one can of beans left for a family of six, right? So in those scenarios, though, tension is high, stress is high. We mentioned the psychological, um, emotional toll that took on people. The comfort foods, but then also making mealtimes foods is very, very simple. And that can be something I mentioned just, you know, cooking up some pasta, adding in some butter powder, maybe some cheese powder for a macaroni and cheese, something just very, very, very simple. Uh, and then, you know, do open up the can of Dinty Moore or whatever. But you're likely to have what you need to actually survive in your home. But that's when you need to think about meals and maybe the simplest recipes possible. So cooking doesn't become an added stress. Cleanup doesn't become an added stress. You know, who needs that? Unless it's, you know, something that, you know, is enjoyable for you. And that's a fun hobby is making lots of complicated recipes. But for most people... When there's a time of stress, you need everything just to be simple as possible, as stress-free as possible. Yeah, sure. There's a lot. There, there's a lot of great tips in there to unpack. Um, there's a yeah. It's just this is this has been great, Lisa. I really appreciate you taking the time with us today and and to, and to go over these things. I think I think it, it, I love how you're providing a very practical, realistic approach that anybody can follow. It doesn't have to just be women. I mean, obviously, guys can get a lot out of this also, and so. Um, I just I highly recommend everybody go check out uh, Lisa's site. It's she's really got an amazing comprehensive program over there. There is a if you want to dig deeper specifically into survival food, there is a survival food course that she has over there. It's a very simple uh, course, gives you checklists, lots of different things there. And then there is a more engaged community behind the scenes there, um, behind the courses that she has that includes some additional video training as well as a network and the ability to work with Lisa and get some additional advice from her. And, you know, I would also say this for, for the guys out there, because I, th- I think it really is like one of the most common questions that I get, or I won't, I won't call it complaints, but I think frustrations for a lot of people who are trying to become better prepared, but don't necessarily have their family on board maybe because of the stigmas that are involved with being a prepper or just thinking about survivalism. And I, I would suggest that it, it, if, you're, if you're a guy out there who is, you know, has a partner who is maybe a little bit intimidated by this male-dominated, gun-driven world of doomsday preppers, if that's their stigma, um, this is a great opportunity to... Let them become a member of an engaged community of other women and recognize their own power within just kind of like the same area that, that, that we're in, but from a different angle. Because it really it helps us. It helps the family unit. It helps the kids. And it's a very non-intimidating way that they can actually identify with what it just means to be prepared without throwing a tinfoil hat on, throwing a gun in their hands 
and just saying, all right, family, we're, we're headed off to take out the zombie hordes. Um, this is a really, really great opportunity. So I th- definitely go over and check out her website. You'll find all the information there, more about Lisa, as well as her training programs or membership and uh, some other great blog posts and, and things like that over there. So go check her out at thesurvivalmom.com. And until our next show, this is Jeff Anderson saying, live like a warrior. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.